Hey, unfuckers, welcome into show notes. This is for the FCC episode. The FCC. Yeah, you know me. First of all, our fall trifecta razor for funds, friends, and hell is in full fucking swing. So thank you to all of the unfuckers who have answered the call by taking memberships to contribute to our growth. We're up to 268 members as of this recording. So we're chipping away at our goal of 420 (laughs) by the end of the year. So in uncertain times like these, when you have so many financial pressures and outlets looking for support, I believe me, every single membership is appreciated more than you know. We also have several new friends of the show as well because our Twitter numbers and our Facebook group members over at Unfuckers at All continue to steadily increase along with engagement. But not enough of you are reaching out to introduce yourselves along with your personal sponsor that brought you here. So let your voice be heard so that we can call you out in show notes. Quick note on that Facebook group, by the way, to avoid Zuckerberg jail, Knudsen has swapped out the U for an asterisk as it is in the show name. So to find the group, just type in Unfuckers with an asterisk for the second U at E-T all A-L. As for our hell-raising period, we have communication with Lieutenant Governor Barnes's staff, and we're trying to lock down a date to speak with him directly. Now, as I mentioned, we're doing an episode on both Barnes and Summer Lee, who's running for Congress in Pennsylvania's 12th. So whether we snag him for the show or not, we're going to give you all of the deets so you can make your own decisions and hopefully support them. But get noisy. A lot of you have been supporting them, have been retweeting their material. You've been sharing social media posts from them. You've been getting in touch with them and letting them know you're in support of them. If you know anybody in Pennsylvania's 12th, I know that's needle in a haystack, or you know anybody in the great state of Wisconsin, just let them know that you are in support of Lieutenant Governor Barnes, who is in a dead heat right now with Rojo. Okay, so let's let's make this happen. We can do this, unfuckers. Let's put our muscle behind it. So before we get into show notes, a couple of guilty pleasure pod love things to talk about. I'm going to be really pressed for time personally because my guilty pleasure pod is the rewatchables from the Ringer Network, and they just released a two-parter on Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights. So that's my guilty pleasure, and I'm here for all things PTA. I'm really looking forward to it. But as for 99, last week you'll recall that I was solo for post-show musings because I fucked up. I was running a bit behind and 99 had tickets to go see her favorite pod perform live. So let's hear about it. Yeah, so I had tickets to see last podcast on the left. Your sons? Yes. (laughs) My sons, my husbands, whatever, my uncles, cousins. It's all big uh, incest spiderweb. Did they know that? I think everyone feels that way about them. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just kind of one of those parasocial, because they're so normal. Like, they're just three fucking guys. Like, three dudes. One's from Texas, one's from Wisconsin, the other one's from Queens slash Florida. How did they meet, by the way? That's a great question. I don't know. I'm sure I knew at some point, but I think maybe in their 20s, they all lived in New York and somehow all met. I'm not 100% sure. Unfuckers, do we have a lot of Last Pod fans out there? Let us know. Tweet at us. There's a greater network of them, and they used to have, like, another show, and, you know, that, that predated the last podcast, so there might be some connections through that. Um, I'm not sure. But, yeah, it was at the Beacon. It's, it was supposed to be in May of last, this year, I guess, technically, but Marcus got COVID, and then he had long COVID, sadly. Mm. Yeah, so they had to cancel. I was actually kind of glad at the time because, like, the numbers were spiking, and I was like, all right. Um, but I felt a little better going this time. It was it was really fun. How was the beacon? Is the beacon in good shape? 
Uh, they were like, the security was weirdly, like they acted like nobody had ever seen a show before. <laughs> it was so, they. I saw them make two girls throw out their water bottles, empty, like swell bottles, you know? Mm. I'm like, it's an empty bottle. What are they going to do with it? It could be filled with kerosene. Well, they can dump it out. Right. <laughs> I mean, they were, yeah, they were, they were very tight, but it's a beautiful theater. The sound was good. I had good seats. So, yeah, I had a great time. And um, it was just nice to see them. Like, you know, they play like the podcast theme when they come out and you get chills a little bit because it's like I listen to you almost every day, you know? like That's so cool. Yeah, like when I'm in the shower, if I'm, you know, need something, like I want background noise, I'll just put on an old episode. Even if I can't like hear it, hear it. I can like just, it's you know, it's like comforting. Food. Yeah, exactly. And I, me and my roommate both fall asleep to it sometimes. The, the lighter episodes, not the, you know, heavy, heavy hitters. So if you never listen to it, like I've, I've told you before that I, I almost feel like I got into it too late when I tried to get into it. And it's just it, it wasn't my jam because I also feel like I'm missing a lot of the, the key references and the shorthand. And that's part of the fun of it. Do you, like, if somebody, like, a complete fresh newbie went to a show like that, would they be able to appreciate it? Obviously not to the same level, but would they be able to, can they have a good time at a show like that? Or would it, is it just all, are show, live shows like that meant to be just chum? I mean, I definitely think that it's, it's going to be more fun if you know them, but you can definitely enjoy it because they explain the segments. So, like, each one of them has their own segment. And like they banter during the segment and then they'll they'll do like a bigger one at the end and then, um, you know, play some gross videos right at the very end. And they'll like explain what it. What kind of gross videos? Um, you know, like a guy shitting his pants or, <laughs> yeah, it was. It, oh, so it's juvenile. It's one for us, one for you or I can't remember the exact name. So it was like, here are the ones for us and they're disgusting. <laughs> and then here are the ones for you. And it was all like baby elephants tripping, <laughs> like like just falling and being cute. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how they end their shows. There are definitely some, you know, inside jokes, but I think most of it is just based on what we're watching. So, yeah, I mean, I highly recommend the show in general. I mean, it's one of the most popular podcasts, so it's not not a hot take. Uh, I've said before, the older episodes definitely haven't aged as well based on the language they've used. But How many years have they been doing it? 15, 13. Wow, that's amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're... They're pretty early adopters, you know? Yeah. And no scandals. Nobody's done anything fucked up No, in the I mean, world. other than, like like I said, saying some bad shit. And uh, Ben had kind of a light mental breakdown during COVID. And he was like, I'm not masking anywhere. But then he was like, I'm just going through a tough time. And <laughs> so it was like, really, we were all really scared. And like, oh, God, is what's happening? Is this, is, is this happening? But then he, you know, he felt better. If you're going to listen, I'd say start. So there's side stories, which is like the show notes of you know, last podcast, but they'll talk about like weird shit that's happening in news and true crime. So like, I think hopping in there is probably not the best place because it's just like a fucking mess. Like they're just like, it's this. They're just like, you know, shooting the shit. I mean, you get to know their personalities, but I would pick like a, one of the newer, I'd say in the last, like from 2018 on maybe the last, you know, four or five years, like a long series. Like they did a really good one on Mormonism they did one on the Black Plague, which was great. Bonnie and Clyde, Billy the Kid, like one of those, you know, that. Well, by the way, has I meant to appeal. mention to you Behind the Bastards new series. Have, yeah. you, have you seen it? No. Is Celestial Seasonings? Oh, yes. That's the one that I turned on. Yes. That I was like, who's this other girl? Someone told oh, me. Oh, that was the one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, somebody answered us, yeah, right? Yeah, it was Sophie? the producer. I'm not sure her name, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was like, give her her credit. Yeah. You know, if you didn't introduce me, I'd be upset. 
I'm sorry, and you are? Uh, my name is Beep. <laughs> I actually was looking for something. Well, <laughs> here's a fun story. I dropped my phone in the toilet. My roommate can't find her work phone. We're looking. We scoured the entire apartment. Every, like in the fridge, in the freezer, we're looking everywhere. On top of the fr- freezer, like who knows? You know, maybe she was holding it and put it down. There was a box of fucking celestial tea up on on my freezer, up to, like on top of it. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it's mine or hers. Mm. I'm assuming it's hers because I don't really buy tea. Is it from the old tenant? Maybe. No, it's definitely ours. Like it's with our stuff. But I was like, bad. But um, sleepy time. Long, Very popular. Long story short. Mm-hmm. She threw it out, and we went down to the basement, and- She threw her phone out? Oh, yeah. And she calls it, and we hear it. (laughs) Oh, no. You had to go dumpster diving? I didn't. I held the flashlight, because I will throw up at garbage. Like, I can't, I can't, I know that's like, no one likes garbage. I get in this fight with her and my sister, because I always make them do the garbage, and I'm like, but you're like, you're fine with it. And my sister's always like, I don't like garbage. And I'm like, right. I know that, but I, I hate garbage. So I tie up my garbage very, very neatly. I'm, I'm insane about my garbage. Yeah. And, and you have recycling. to hold your breath because it smells bad. Don't. I don't. I just, I can, I can kind of muscle my, no, my wife, on the other hand, gags immediately yeah. at it, which is how it de facto became my job, which I'm totally fine with. Mm-hmm. But how I put it out on the curb means a lot to me. Okay. Pride. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. It's just I didn't garbage. know where to put garbage at your house when I watched your dogs. I took it. What do you mean? Oh, you mean to the curb? You mean you took it? Yeah, I threw it out somewhere else. I threw it. Where did I? Where did I throw Here? it out? At, at no. our office. Did I find a dumpster? So I work late. No, I a might lot have thrown it out my house. I work late here at, at, at our office a lot of nights uh, because it's it's the time that I can find quiet time, and so it's not uncommon that I'll I'll be here till you know twelve one o'clock in the morning. At least once a week, right? Maybe twice. Do you know how many fucking people throw their garbage out here in the middle of the night? Hmm. But like from residences, it's unbelievable. Or other construction sites, or it's just. I mean, we do have like just some, open dumpsters. So. It's true. No, she put some cameras on that shit. No, let them. Yeah, fuck them. I don't care. Yeah, let our no, landlords pay for our per weight. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Rewatchables is my is my favorite pod, uh, my guilty pleasure pod, I should say, because the host of it, Bill Simmons, is Richard Simmons, not Richard, uh, who's been found. Russell Simmons, not Russell, who's problematic, as Manny can tell you. Cinnamon um, Toast Crunch, not Cinnamon Toast Crunch either. Okay, I'm this out. is Bill Simmons, one of the originators of the Thirty for Thirty documentary series. Was an ESPN guy up in Bristol for a long time. Started the Ringer Podcast Network, a very successful network. Actually, got bought up by Spotify. I know what Ringer is. Like, oh, you didn't explain Ringer. I just don't. What do you listen to? None of them. Oh, okay. I'm not a basic white guy who started a podcast. So I was going to say it is such a basic white guy feel. Not all the shows that they have, but Rewatchable certainly is because it's like every show, it's three basic white guys hosting it and talking about the movies basically that we all grew up with. And it's even more, it's more on point for me because we're around the same age. So like we're experiencing them at, at that point in your life, at that same point in your life where it has a certain, it, a different type of impact on you. It's so much fun. I really, I, and I really, I dig it. I get Do into it. Do they bring it. people under the age of 50 on to talk about movies they like? Very rarely. Very That's rarely. Stupid. That's why it's so awesome for a basic white guy I think like my me. My dad would like this. Yes, absolutely. 
Because I'm looking at movies on here and I'm like, he's made me watch like half of these. <laughs> well, the thing is, they have to be old enough to be rewatchable. It's it's hard to find an instant classic. So the setup for the show is like something that came out that has endured, not mm -hmm. just like the hottest movie. Although they did Top Gun as an outlier. Yeah, I get that. But uh, or Maverick, Top Gun, Maverick, whatever it is, is an outlier. But anyway, Panic Room. I've seen that. It's a it's a long-winded way of saying that I love Paul Thomas Anderson. The fuck is Rachel getting married? So they have some. They bring in p other people from Ringer to comment on on what my their favorite movie might be. So it's kind of neat. Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, there's some there's some fan favorites in there. There's some cult stuff in there. What I really love about them is they actually dedicated the only non-movie that they've ever done was Miami Vice. Calderon and Calderon's return. Just passed it. Weirdly. Did you really? Yeah. Yes. I'm looking at all of them to see if anything's worth me. Because they're huge trying. Michael Mann fans, as am I. Big Miami Vice fans. It was super important to Bill Simmons, super important to me. And they have Brian Koppelman on the podcast, who you also know that I love. So I'm he's on there often. Write in and request that they do meatballs. Um, <laughs> do you think that um, holds up? They get, yeah, 100%. I, I would Caddyshack. I would be shocked if they hadn't done meatballs. I, I saw stripes. They definitely did stripes. Yeah. I listened to that one because that was it. So much Bueller. of it is about Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. So unfortunate that they they split toward the end of his life. But all right, let's get into it. Unfuckers, thanks for hanging with us. I think I was comfortable leaning into some of the movie stuff because. You know, we had a little back and forth with the captain, <laughs> but we have somebody from the captain's band who's going to... Oh, they might... Who you're going to hear... We might break up this band. Yeah. Well, I'm not... It's I don't know stuff. if they're going to say it's the captain's band because it's also his band. That's right, too. I'm just saying, I don't know. I know he's it's, called the nope, captain, nope. but... It's a very good point. It's a very good point. Uh, there might be an admiral in the band, right? What do we I know? I so. So let's the get into hangover. emails. Why did they do the hangover? That doesn't hold up. Hangover? It's the fucking... Part one doesn't hold trash. up? Trash. They have a known rapist in it. Pass. Mike Tyson's a rapist. Yeah, I know. You Do you still listen to Bing Crosby at the holidays? We've talked about this. He's also, that's, why are you besmirching Bing Crosby? What did he do to you? To me? Is he a rapist in real life? Oh, no, he was a child abuser and a, and a, and a woman abuser. He was, a, he was a horrible man. Like a pedophile or just like a beater? A beater. Oh, just abused the shit I out didn't of children know that. And, and women. I thought you were talking about Baby It's Cold Outside again. No, no, no. And I was like, we talked about this. It's just a song. Oh, well, yeah. I'm also Jewish, so no, I don't. How's that? So, all right, I Neil Diamond's listen... Jewish and he has the best Christmas music. Fact. Is that true? fact out Does a lot. Does he have... Like, fact, Tombstone's the best Western. Does he have Christmas music? Neil Diamond? Sweet Are you fucking kidding Santa me right now? Santa Claus. Ba, ba, ba. Neil Diamond has crushed the Christmas market. Neil Diamond makes Crackling so much Christmas money. Crackling Christmas, make it on board. Every December. I love Crackling, Quackwin Woesy. Oh, Quackwin Woesy. That's honestly one of my, like, in my top 100 favorite songs. I'm a cherry cherry guy. I don't know that song. All right. <laughs> so, emails. This is uh, specific to the FCC. Inigo G said, thank you for getting into the FCC. More specifically, I can't wait till you dig into net neutrality. I'm excited for that as well. Coming soon. Uh, regarding candidates, I implore you to bring attention to Charles Booker at charlesbooker.org, the progressive running for Senate in Kentucky. Him getting a seat means the removal of Rand Paul. That would be a huge win for all of us, but especially for the wholly disenfranchised people of Kentucky. 
So here's the deal with Booker. First of all, by all accounts, Booker looks like a really great and impressive candidate. 538 has Rand Paul up by 16 points at this juncture, though polling data can obviously be unreliable. But this is very, like really statistically outside any of margin of error calculation. Uh, and for the very impressionable and important advertising push in the final weeks, Paul actually has a 10 times fundraising advantage. In fact, Booker has less than a million dollars on hand at this juncture, according to Open Secrets. So it appears that the DNC has all but abandoned Booker. And of course, Paul stands kind of above even the most visible libertarians in the country. And as such, he's the beneficiary of a tremendous amount of earned media. So he can likely hold on to this cash and he's just going to always be on the airwaves. So it's probably most definitely a long shot. But I don't think that that, you know, regardless of the outcome, I don't think that we have to abandon Booker or and we should actually very much keep him in our sights going forward. He's young. He's experienced. He was already sitting congressperson, appears to be very progressive from all I can tell from uh, some of his policies, his voting record and what he stands for on his website. So he's advocating for a sustainable future for Kentucky, universal basic capital program, which I find very interesting, and a host of other poverty mitigation measures. So I would look at this as maybe the beginning, like a part two of Booker's journey for recognition. But I think we have to be realistic about the, the political reality in a state that has been abandoned by its political class. It's uh, I mean, it constantly ranks among the lowest in all sort of key performance measures for poverty health outcomes, education. And, you know, of course, we're talking about McConnell land. We're talking about Rand Paul land. And it's just it's very unfortunate because the people of Kentucky, just like the people of West Virginia, need to break the cycle of poverty that comes from the former coal mining class that is, you know, struggling to find work, is also dealing with long term health effects from really terrible mining and manufacturing practices there. There's not as much regulatory oversight uh, in places like Kentucky and West Virginia. So yeah, we, we have a lot of work to do to to re-earn the trust of Kentuckians and West Virginians and, and those people in that that are, have really been affected by the market transition away from coal, as an example, the fact that manufacturing base has completely left that pocket of the country. I mean, poverty is endemic in these areas. It's going to take somebody. Well, the Senate is different. I mean, the Senate represents the entire body, the entire the entire country. Would love to get rid of voices like Rand Paul. Would love to have another progressive there in Kentucky. But I think this is the beginning of a, a building movement down there that is going to take a little bit of time. So let's keep him on our radar. Um, you know, not all that sanguine about his his chances, but that's all good. So let's get into now a little bit of the tombstone controversy. Mm -hmm. I was going to say first, um, please keep sending in your local race recommendations. Yes, yes. I made a new tab in our email just to specifically keep track of the local races. So, you know, we love to shout out your local candidate, even though we have our two adopted. It doesn't mean we don't also want to learn about these new progressives who we might see running for these bigger positions in the next couple of years. So here we have Bagpiper McHaggis, <laughs> which, you know, I don't know if this is racist against Irish people or what. Or Haggis is Scottish. I'm thinking I'm thinking the bagpipes yeah, and the McHaggis right. is Scottish. I'm being racist right? now. Wow. Look at you. Shit. Sorry. Um, True 99. What, being racist? Yep, here it comes out. How dare you? Mm -hmm. So Bagpiper says, I'm the bagpiper and accordionist bandmate of the captain. 
the person responsible for introducing said captain. Oh, shit. Wow. Bagpiper, you're the OG. That's right. I've never written in before, but after listening to the most recent show notes, <laughs> I could be silent no longer. The issues you raise on each episode are important and boil my blood, but none of them has made me quite so angry as this last message. <laughs> you need to know that in the matter of Tombstone v. The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, he's completely off base and in no way speaks for the entire band. But that's what we love about the captain. He can talk himself into anything. A couple well, things about this that I really love. First of all, that he spells bass. Like a musician. Like a musician yeah. does. B-A-S-S. That's yeah. so fucking I did great. read it like Bass the Fish the first time I was reading this. I was like, <laughs> He's oh, off Bass. bass. <laughs> uh, and uh, listen, you don't fuck with a piper, man. You just don't. Anybody that can make that So. That's bagpipe sound. But like pretty. That your version's prettier than what Bagpiper McHaggis does? No, the other way around. Oh, the other way around. Yes. Okay. I don't know why this was always so fucking funny to me and so surreal, but we used to go to this beach on 4th of July every year. And this drunk ass motherfucker would come out because we'd always go by the same spot where friends of ours had a house. And our families would be there. Everybody would be running around. Everybody was just fucking wasted by the end of the night and right about sunset this like drunk ass dude like with a big belly and just a bathing suit would come out and he'd start playing the fucking bagpipes on the 4th of July nothing made sense about this moment except it all made sense the whole beach would go quiet he'd finish playing something somber like fucking Danny Boy or whatever it was green sleeves and everybody would just go bananas at the end of it and it's just so iconic in my memory there's something about watching a piper Standing at the at at the cusp of the of the ocean, just making it happen. And, and I don't know. It's just personally, I know some people hate the fucking bagpipes. I love them. There's there's so. I don't think it's something like you want to listen to every day necessarily. Yeah. Like I don't want a bagpipe alarm clock. <laughs> but I like them when I hear them. Me too. In the appropriate place. Yeah. So good on you, bagpiper McHaggis. Piper McHaggis. <laughs> Bagpiper McHaggis. Bagpiper McHaggis. Yeah. And he says, um, while I'm here, I do need to say thank you for all you do. This podcast is so informative, necessary, and absolutely appreciated. No, oh, we appreciate it. I'm waiting for a song from your band, Captain and Bagpiper. What yeah, are you I guys mean, doing? An original? Yeah. The right? captain gave Prominently me a, a, he gave me a loose promise. Like, I don't know yet, but maybe I can convince the band. I mean, it sounds like it's not up to the captain. I mean, now we know that it's uh, it's Bagpiper's show, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, we're not listen. We're not trying to sow discord into the band, and you know, obviously. No, I'm just going to be the to get first our groupie. Own yeah, we're just trying to get our own song. Anyway, all right. Hey, we have a serial unfucker coming up next. Nathan S., who we've heard from before. Nathan S. always likes to challenge me in the best way possible, and says, "I'm not sending this to troll you. I promise." Nathan, you don't have to give me that disclaimer. We challenge one another intellectually, and I love that. It's never trolling. That's, that's you know, we, we've had trolls before. You ain't one of them. I really want to better understand. I've listened to all your episodes, and the one I've always struggled with is the MMT episode. I did read Stephanie Kelton's book after listening to your episode, but I still did not understand how it could work. So last week, I asked my economics professor about it. He's clearly a bit of a libertarian, so obviously had an opposing viewpoint, but he did share this article with me. So we're going to put this in show notes. And it's a review by an economist of the deficit myth. And I think it's worth sharing and putting it out there. MMT is still a very important discussion to be having in light of inflation and the movement to pin it on reckless spending right now. 
So I read the article. I think it provides a very useful framework to revisit both fiscal and monetary policy. It's way too long to get into here, but we'll definitely link the article in show notes in case unfuckers want to take a gander at it. And I think uh, Nathan suggests maybe we have a follow-up at some point in light of the fact that we have had multiple massive spending bills since the time that we even did the MMT episode, and we also have inflation right now. Causation, correlation, we should unpack that. I think that's a totally, totally fair and, and reasonable place to go. So Nathan, again, as always, I appreciate your your feedback. So then we heard from Dan M., who wants us to unfuck cars. Sex with cars mm. or sex with appliances. There's a whole big movement where people are marrying their cars, marrying their toasters, marrying their dogs, their cats, their horses. I'm not kidding. So cars are the ultimate metaphor for capitalist success. Henry Ford, streamlining production, etc., which is now so fucking successful that most of the time it's impractical to drive anywhere because of the gridlock on the roads. With electric cars, our champion Elon Musk is imperializing sources of the raw materials for batteries. And of course, it's disproportionately been the poor and less privileged who are displaced to make way for new highway projects. It's easy to weave the automobile through every evil railed against on UNFTR, but in true American fashion, what really grabs headlines is traffic and inconvenience, which is what cars have come to represent so often for so many. And then Dan also sent along some resources, and we'll definitely, we're going to bookmark those. And he sent along a Podlove suggestion in his Buy Me a Coffee membership message, so we'll read that later. Great. It's an outstanding suggestion, not only because the animated movie Cars is so wonderful, mm-hmm. but because it's true. I The fact that you can have a through line of the rise of the automobile through our capitalist growth in the country, I think is is a really smart take. There are a lot of resources and there's been a lot of hand-wringing about this over the years. You know, the thing that made us so successful, and this is generally true, that sometimes the things that make you so so successful are the things that ultimately wind up holding you back. I, I look at you know, broadband in the same way. You know, the information superhighway, the thing that Al Gore invented, I look at broadband and the internet and, and the explosive growth of that and telecommunications and cable since, you know, I have got FCC brain right now in a similar fashion to that because we invested so much to create a raw infrastructure and then we allowed so much other privatization and so many other interests to kind of prevail thereafter, all the while ignoring the the least fortunate, whereas younger countries in developing nations tend to have better broadband than we do and better internet access. I mean, it's it's kind of stunning to think about this, but that's what happens when you develop an infrastructure based around free market principles and ideals and don't do it as a public benefit. And that is also one of the big recurring themes on this show, obviously. Uh, it's why, I mean, this wasn't like a, the most stellar moment of television in history, but the first bit that Trevor Noah did when he took over The Daily Show was sharing photographs and pictures of the highway that uh, that he had just left. And the presumption was that these were highways in Africa. And he's like, I actually was on glistening, gleaming, brand new highways and went to a first class airport. And then I flew into LaGuardia here in the United States and took this road. And he shared like the BQE or something like that. And it was like the difference in infrastructure, you know, when it's new versus old and decaying and decrepit and not kept up was was pretty stark. And that was like his introduction 
he was joking about it. He'd been to America many times, obviously, but it was it was a good reminder of the perspective that other people have when they come here. So I love automobiles as a metaphor for capitalism and for the way that we have grown in this country. What was, you know, again, victims of our own success, I suppose. So really good stuff, Dan. Thank you for sending that in. And I think it's something that we can dig into. Full disclosure, I have a lot on the docket between now and the end of the year, pretty much. I have it, I would say, loosely mapped out, obviously allowing for any new trends coming up and, and unforeseen things before the end of the year. But so I don't see that this is something I would get to this year. But hey, we're all in this for the long haul, right? Did you see what uh, the thing California passed? No, what is that? They're outlawing the sale of new gas cars by 2035. Oh, I, who did I? My wife and I were having a discussion with somebody about that. And that person's take was this fucking bullshit. They're trying to regulate the market and, you know, shit on capitalism. It was 13 I was like, years. It's, I think Ford announced that they're not going to sell any after 2025. Like, I didn't see that as really a big deal. And I, as a practical matter, I think everybody's going to transition to it. The bigger story, though, I think is might be more related to what Dan is talking about and, and getting away from car culture. And we already know we already know the story about the, the electric battery. It's not good. It's not good for the environment. You can't recycle it. The mining, the extraction for lithium is devastating to local environments. They actually just found out that there are parts of Canada that have a tr that have tremendous stockpiles of all of the elements and minerals that are needed for for electric batteries. It's just that it's extremely expensive to start those operations. It's incredibly destructive to the local environments and it's usually populated by low-wage workers. You know, there's parts of South America. We talked about the coup that Donald Trump could, couldn't pull off in Uruguay. We talked about, uh, well, we haven't really dug enough into it, but I remember we had a listener early on that was like, you've got to talk about mining and extraction mm -hmm. in Central Africa. It's just that. devastating. So there, that's, a, that's a big part of it too, because in theory, there actually isn't enough projected supply for this type of battery, and you can't recycle it. You know what the real story is? Yeah. The fact that they put 12 fucking electric car chargers in my garage, my apartment building. Nobody has a, an electric car. Not one? Not one. And then they raised our parking. <laughs> not one? Not Literally not one. That's surprising. I There was someone with a Tesla, but he's gone. Hmm. Yeah, these cars are not getting any more affordable, am I, as far as I can well, tell. Well, neither is my parking. Yeah, that too. What? I didn't ask for this. I, I didn't ask for this fucking thing that's in my way. Then they moved the bike rack, and now it's next to my car. We could probably do a New York City episode on Robert Moses. I'd have on to, Moses? On Robert Moses? Just Moses. Or on Moses. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there, what's the story with the Bronx? It's that one that they put in, and then all the smog, and... They've like tracked all the health problems. Which bridge is that? The Gowanus? I don't know. Bronx Bridge. My friend, I don't know Parkway. why we had this running joke growing up about the inbound Gowanus because listening to traffic reports growing up in New York, they'd always talk about jams on the inbound Gowanus, but nobody ever talked about the outbound. There's never a jam on the outbound Gowanus. It's like Hotel California Gowanus bridges. Going, nope, they don't want to go on. They the want They don't want to go on us there. Yeah, is it the? <laughs> wait. You can go on us in, but you can't go on us out. 
Is it the... So you're talking about the, the Brooklyn Queens Expressway or the Cross Bronx? Maybe. Well, the Cross Bronx, I remember sitting in a hip hop lecture with uh, Manny Faces years ago and Rebel Diaz talked about the splitting of the boogie down from the Cross Bronx Expressway. That's probably what it is. So I'm going to say that it's that. And they tied that back into gentrification, the roots of hip hop, Cool Herc, like a whole, they had this whole amazing history, but then tied it into, they turned hip hop into a socioeconomic story. And it was really, really fucking fascinating. And But again, that was all Robert Moses. Robert Moses, when he built uh, the infrastructure to go out to Long Island from yeah. New York City, made sure that the bridges on all the parkways were too low for buses to get through because buses equaled black people and black people equaled Democrats. And he didn't want black people to be able to go and enjoy the beaches. Nice. And because they might get a taste of suburban life and oh. you know eventually move out. So it was a way to A, protect the GOP, but B, just to keep the beaches white. Nice. Yeah. Okay, well, it was the Cross Bronx Expressway. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a podcast. My roommate said it was a TikTok. And that's on being a millennial, folks. <laughs> I'm like, what was that podcast? It's a TikTok. Um, is that why? What's the deal with the southern state and the northern state? Do you see with all the trucks crashing into the... the oh, have you seen yeah, that? Yeah. It's like every fucking day. They yeah. don't know that a they're very, too tall. very, very good friend of mine. Did it? Yep. In like a... Like In a, a box truck. What was he doing? Uh, rented a box truck for a catering job and and ripped the top off like a fucking uh, sardine can. It was amazing. Jesus. And those things come apart fast. <laughs> yeah, because they're made it? out of like tin. Yeah. I mean, are. I've seen videos. Thankfully, I haven't been near one. Every yeah, time I see one now, up. I'm like, oh, you're going to make it. <laughs> but. Yeah, so if you come to New York and you've got a box truck, don't go on any of the parkways. There are signs, so don't everywhere. There are literally are pl- there are plenty of signs. I think these people are like, oh, this doesn't block. I'm afraid that my car is going to hit it. I'm like ducking. It's just so stupid <laughs> that in the biggest you know metropolis in the in the country that they would build arteries that extend from it that you can't fucking bring trucks. Okay, on. well as a, but as a regular person yeah. in a car, yeah, it's nice to have places where trucks can't go sometimes. Why are you looking at me like I said something crazy? Or he said something bananas. Hat tip to Bookstore Kim, who said that's a good replacement. It's not bananas. Why? I can't. But it's. What? Exclusionary that I don't want to drive next to two fucking Amazon trucks who are going to smush me? It's all the same numbers. It's all the same numbers. Coming in, coming out doesn't make a difference. So now you got one, you know, major road with just all fucking trucks, right? But it's the big, it's the one that has the most access and takes you where you need to be. And then you got all these little parkways that create these artificial choke points because we can't let the flow of truck traffic go out. It's truck just traffic. Truck traffic. Do you have a favorite parkway? Do I have a favorite parkway? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do. I'm just wondering. I do. Do you? Mm-hmm. Okay. On three. Ready? One. one two. Wait, wait. On three or three and say it. Well, it has to be three and say it or else I can't say three. Yeah. Okay. One, one two, two, three. three. Same one. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. That was cool. Beautiful. It's right in the middle. Yeah, it's good. It's, yeah. And it's always like, there's never, the traffic is never that bad. It's net right. And it's you can not, get to the LIE. You yep. can get to the Southern State. You, you get can down get to yeah. really wherever you need to get. You can yeah. get down to, you can head out to Fire Island. You go, you go back and you go to Jones Beach. You can go to. It's Long Beach. It's perfect. Can, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. So the great tragedy of the planning there is that they had always wanted that to dead end, or not to dead end. They wanted it to extend 
to Connecticut via a bridge. So, okay. yeah, actually, uh, urban legend is that they had that you can still find the footings of the bridge because they actually really did have it planned. It was mapped out and it was supposed to go, th- go through Oyster Bay. But that's where all the rich people live, lived back then. And uh, they were like, yeah, no, you're not fucking putting a bridge here. But in terms of evacuation policies for, for that it. island, it would have been amazing for, you know, if those people could get off. So now they're just trapped. It's all there. waspy over there. They would have loved to vacation in Greenwich. Yeah, well, you know, back then it was like five people owned all of it. And they were like, you in know, Connecticut? Never. No, or in Oyster Bay. Stupid. That's where all the big money was. Ugh. I know. They ruined everything. It did. All right. Well, all right. So going on, yeah, Pam we got or Paula. Paula. Paula B. Why did I read Pam? You know what? I read the B M A C, which is my abbreviation for buy me a coffee. Oh, okay. At the same time in my brain. Where did you see B M A C? Transposed it. Uh, in the message before. Oh. Great. And then so my brain ah, said my Bram said Pam. Well, it's not. It's Paula. Yes, and apologies. she said, I just listened to the June 10, 2022 bonus episode. It resonated with me in a way that felt me feeling very seen, and I felt compelled to write. Max said he was the most satisfied he'd ever been in his working life, but not that he was making more money than he ever had. Back in the day, I walked away from a well-paying job slash toxic environment, which, by the way, is the type of environment I think we're living in now, just to get away. Yes, I had savings and I wasn't going to starve, but in the estimation of others, I was crazy. And she goes on to say, I understand it may all look like the starry-eyedness people get when starting any new business, but I think your situation is very different from opening another type of business or typical podcast. You're trying to change the whole system, and it's delightful. First of all, anybody that uses the word delightful, which is truly one of my favorite words, uh, is aces in my books. I appreciate you writing that in, and you are seen, and I appreciate you for for seeing me. It is not, this isn't easy, but it is so much fun, and it is so rewarding. Uh, and 99 talk, and I talk about it all the time, is like, we have a, first of all, we get to work very closely together, and that has been magical. We get to kind of craft our destiny wherever we want to go with it, and but it's all with, it's all with the wind in our sails. If we were, it would still be fun to put this together. It'd still be fun to sit here and bullshit together. And, and But your response to the show and to us as humans and criticizing us when we need it, doing it tongue in cheek when it, when it calls for it as well, and just having a very light intellectual banter back and forth with some people that really want to understand what the fuck is going on out there and change the world. That's, I mean, to me, that's the magical part. That is the life-changing part that you hope for, but you just couldn't see it coming. And we've connected with so many incredible people. And now we have people connecting with one another and even visiting each other. And and, uh, Stifler's mama, Jen S., was talking about a visit that she had with another fucker who came through Colorado as she's on her world tour of devastation and radical revolutionizing in Colorado. Jen S., changing the system, along with Stifler's papa, Who's Stifler's uh, dad? What's his name? We got Ryan. Sti- Ryan. So we got Jen and Ryan out there. Stifler's mama and Stifler's dad. So no, Stifler's. What does he call himself? Stifler's, Stifler's mama's dad. Ha- Four twenty. Is that what it is? I don't know. I thought his last name was Stifler, so I don't know what that means. It's an American Pie reference. No, I know that, but I mean, it would make her Stifler's husband. I think. Th- I think wife. his name. We have to look at it. I think his name is something related to her. Right? What do you mean? I think he says Stifler's mama's husband, something like well, that. His la- I'm pretty sure his last name is Stifler, his no. real last name. Oh, he is. That's what so I- it was not America's Pie. 
America's Pie. America's Pie. Well, I'm I think so it, it's Stifler's All mom. I know is they're just fucking things up in Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll pass on it. But All right. um, I encourage everyone to leave their toxic jobs if you can. If you can. I was forced to leave my toxic job because they fired me. And I didn't know that. I, I'm telling you, I told you. You didn't. I think I did, and then I retconned it, but then I... I think you it was what? retcon. What is that? Uh, retroactive continuity. It's like in, you know, comic books or a book series. It's like if... I think you're trying... I think what you're trying to say is gaslit? No. Retcon. You were gaslitting? No, retcon like gaslighting like, me? You gaslit me? Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. when the new Star Wars universe happened... Right. ...with the Mandalorian and all the spinoffs and Rogue One... They basically, they retconned all of those books. Like, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Star Wars official, like, companion books that are in their canonical in, in the history. But they retconned all of it. So none of it was canon anymore. So it basically all becomes, like, fan fiction. So I'm pretty sure I told you, because I have a very distinct memory of the, our other person saying, like, are you still with this company? I said, no, they outsourced. And then, then later, I think I told you. I think you said something like, "Hell yeah, I'm there, and I'm probably up for a promotion." And you're gonna have to. No, they were. You're gonna have to make this worth my while. They were toxic, and they. uh, I wasn't fired. I was let go or laid off because I asked for a raise that I very much deserved, and so I was the first one to go. And then it was dominoes over the next, you know, two months. Are they still around? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> yep. I think COVID, they took a hit during COVID. I wish oh, the I people were working there well. Knowing the industry they I wish in. my previous boss nothing but uh, sad days. Oh. He was not a good person. Oh. Unfuckers, listen to this shit real quick. And then I'll, 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 I'll share some true trauma. Okay. So I got called in to the HR meeting on a Friday at noon. And I was like, maybe I'm getting my raise. But I also was like, hmm. Also, our HR person made us call him Mr. His last name. Like, we were children. Yeah, Mr. And I'm like, you're not my teacher. Yeah, sick. So then I walk into this room and, like, two strangers are in there. And I'm like, and he reads me this fucking letter and is like, you know, whatever. We don't need you anymore. And I'm just like, I'm in full shock. And I can't, I'm like, he's like, do you have any questions? And I went, no. And I just, then I went to go pack my desk and every all of my coworkers were gone from the room. And these were like my friends. Like I was I'm still really good friends with one of them to this day. They're all just gone from the room. My fucking worm of a boss couldn't face me and he took them all out. It felt like a fucking conspiracy. Everyone was Asshole. gone. I know. And I was like you know, it felt like everyone knew and I was like, whatever. So I packed up all my shit. I'm sobbing. I'm, I called my mom and I was like, I have fire. You know, and she's like, what? Like, she's in shock. The fucking HR manager comes in and goes, do you need a box? And I'm on the phone with my mom actively sobbing. And I'm like, no. And then I was, I had so much stuff because I had like, you know, spare clothes, like a spare pair of shoes and like makeup in case I was going out after work. Like I had so much stuff on my desk. And then... I didn't have the foresight or like the emotional capacity to call an Uber. So I took all of my shit on the subway and I went to my sister's apartment. And I'm I'm that girl crying on the subway, like with all my stuff. And I get to her apartment and I just like collapsed. And I was just like, this is the worst. And then I took a nice long nap and a bath. But yeah. 99. <laughs> Send me the name of this man. I will. 
I hate him. I still, I, this is, this is the cruelest I've ever been. I, when I caught up with my friend who, like, I hadn't seen her in like three hours when I got called in. And because my boss wouldn't let her leave his office because he knew she'd tell me. And he didn't want her to tell me ahead of time because he sucks. So I got like, we were going to a concert or something and we were getting drinks or dinner. And she was like, I have news. And she told me that he got fired. Oh. And I I cried tears of joy. That's the cruelest I've ever been. The cruelest I've ever been at someone else's sadness. So I don't think that's cruel because it wasn't to him, didn't affect him. I mean, is it schadenfreude? Okay, but it didn't. it's not cruel because well, it, it was didn't like, you got him. yours. Yeah, I mean, you, you're, you were gleeful in the, but you know what a cruel would have been, you know, going to his house and fucking kicking his dog. Like, I mean, you know I, I mean? could have gotten him fired also. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh. I had some evidence. Okay. But I um, didn't because okay. that's not who I am. Okay. And yeah, so he got fired because he was useless and a fucking moron. Wow. And that's, and now, and now I'm here, guys. <laughs> I'm still going to miss it. But that's some trauma I'm sharing. So leave your toxic job before it gets to that. Or quiet quit. <laughs> Do your fucking job. Sadly, mo- I don't believe most that, people also. don't have that option. No, I know. If you're so able, you gotta obviously. got to make shit better. Well, sometimes you just can't. And sometimes it's their time to go. Yeah. You know, it's not one person's job to make an entire organization better. <laughs> no, we no, we need to make the world better. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, our yeah. job to make yes. the world a better place. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, do you think that was a fun diversion? Yeah. Do you think will people revel in my trauma? Well, I think people will be very angry at this man and very supportive. People I love had, you. I had full trauma. Like I was traumatized for a while. Yeah, it's a real shitty way to do it. Most yeah. people are very bad at that. Most companies, you know, they just don't think about being humans. They did, you know, small businesses like that. They weren't small. And then a lot of them they do. Had thousands of employees. That, At least a thousands? thousand. You're shitting Not in the me. office, but because... Were they national? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just like a little regional. No. Oh. I mean, we didn't run all the national ones. Like, yeah. there are some that are owned by other people. Got and it. they're actually global. Oh. Yeah. So hmm. sometimes I'll be watching TV, and I'll see their logo, and I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm like... Can I have some goddamn peace? So you used to work for a global organization, and then you came here to our our little engine that could. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear one other funny story? Small. Only, only if it's funny. I think you'll laugh. Okay. So when I was interviewing, I was interviewing at other, you know, in different companies similar to ours. Oh, I know. Yes. So on the way to that interview, that so motherfucker. I accidentally interviewed for Max's arch nemesis. I didn't know, obviously. I didn't. Should have. I didn't know you. you Should have. I didn't know you. I was driving, I was driving on, I was on Sunrise Highway. It's a long road, doesn't matter. I was driving on Sunrise Highway, mm-hmm. which is, so for people who, like, I worked in and the again, city. And by the way, saying arch nemesis gives this person way too much fucking power and credibility. Well, he's Not one, of the, arch one of the only people you hate in your, in your life. Yes, you do. Dislike this person, and he's one of, like, five people. Yes, yes. go ahead. Um, so I worked in the city. And this was on Long Island. We, you know, people know our geography, whatever. So I had designed this sprinter van for the company in the city. I've never seen one in the wild. On my way to that fucking interview, uh, on in front of me on Sunrise Highway was the fucking sprinter van I designed. Isn't that sick? It is. It was a bad omen. 
because Obviously, I was going to your. You could have taken it as a good omen, been like, "There's my work in the wild." No, I'm gonna get I was this like, job. "Fuck you! Why are you fucking harassing me?" Well, I'm, I'm glad you saw it as a bad omen because you might have gone in there with with different no, eyes. No, I was and livid. Been like, oh, I was okay. livid, and I was like, "What is this sick game?" The universe is playing with me. It's like it wasn't a sick game. After here you all. are on a on a on a on a nice path. It like, saved you from a very very very. You, th- you think where you were was toxic? Oh boy! I please. I, I there was toxicity when I walked in, in the there. Ether. Yeah, I told you. They asked me in my interview if I could take a joke, <laughs> and they basically told me, "Hey, you're gonna work. You're gonna do this, but then we're gonna move you, and you're gonna be this lady's assistant." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> that's mm. not how jobs work." Mm. But. All, all this to say, my trauma's healed. I'm perfect. My mental, my mental health is just tip top, and um, I'll never be sad again a day in my life. Well, and okay, and all of this to say, uh, thank you to Paula, not Pam. Yes. Sorry, Pam. That's fine. For <laughs> That's sending her nickname that in. now. Uh, Paula Pam for sending that in, and uh, thank you. And triggering again. me. <laughs> I also feel seen. Elena S. from Mexico said, "I appreciated your mention." of the Mexican financial disaster of 1994. Now I wanna go back and review my notes because I think I was referring to the Mexican debt crisis of the 1980s. So I wanna go back and look at the 94 one. That was directly caused by neoliberal politicians with their thievery and privatization projects. Oh, okay. Which was all throughout the 80s, that makes sense. As well as their receiving loans from the IMF. It was a disaster for the Mexican people, but the oligarchy kept right on trucking. I have the names of a few Mexicans that need to be on your white male Olympic turd contest. Mm -hmm. Well, almost white. They are Vicente Fox, Felipe Calderon, Claudio Gonzalez, Carlos Salinas, and Enrique Peña Nieto. That is some that is some hit list right there of of fuckers. The only thing I liked about Fox was that he kept flipping off the United States. (laughs) You ever see that guy? Fucking unhinged. Anyway, you're talking to yourself or Elena. Yeah, both or of us. I'm talking to Elena. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's good stuff. I actually, we probably should unfuck the the Mexican oligarchs at some point, and we have to do a full fledged Mexican unfucking too. I mean, full fledged. So I, I promised that for a long time, and we'll have to have to get to that. Yeah, I think at least quarterly we should have to do like a, a country. Okay. Is that too much of a, a bi-quarterly? No. Uh, no. among the treasure trove of books that were here when I came in, mm-hmm. which I'm so excited about. Uh, and I tweeted out that I got them gleefully on bookshop.org. I saw. After researching them all on Amazon. Ha <laughs> ha! Fuck you. So I got them all from Bookshop, and uh, one of them is on another country that I'm fascinated by and really want to get into. So Cool. Anyway. I got some books. What'd you get? I got a book that Are they Bobby- here? No, not yet. Oh. book that Bobby McDee recommended. I know the one. I got. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm anxious to see what you think about that. Yeah. I got a book. It's about kind of like the wellness industry, like what we talked about. Mm -hmm. And, but it does get into like the self care mental health aspect. So I'm interested in to see how that. Good stuff. Um, I will. I'm not going to say the names yet, I guess, because I I don't want to endorse till I read. And then the third one is about work. It's something about how to work with anyone, even people you don't like. Why are you staring at me like that? I'm not. Oh, my God. I feel like it's also uh, part of... I feel, I feel naked right now. Uh, it's just like looking right through A greater me mental health narrative. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like work life and making sure... So 99 know. is going to be scoping out our mental health episode. 
Yeah. FYI. So I'm loosely putting books into that framework so I can buy them on our account. I love <laughs> I love it. I bought a book on my own account that had nothing to do with work. Okay. Should I have bought it on our account? Sure. Okay. Okay. It was Pete Shapiro who owns like Brooklyn Bowl. He wrote a book. Brooklyn Bowl's fascinating. That thing's a monster. Have you been? No, but I know people who've had like parties and events there and it looks it looks unbelievably like ridiculously cool. It's my one of my favorite venues, except when they like max it out because then you can't move. But mm. uh, I've been to the one in Vegas as well, and it's beautiful. And then they just opened one in, I think, in Philly, and I think they actually have one in Nashville now. Mm. But he is. That's the cool thing about Brooklyn. You can open up something named Brooklyn pretty much anywhere, and everyone's yeah. like, "Okay, cool." He's just yeah. What is it's called? It's called the music never stops. Well, putting on ten thousand shows has taught me about life, liberty, and the pursuit of magic. Wow. Uh, he Neat. to me he revitalized, or he gave proper. Is he your Danny Meyer? He might be. Yeah. I mean, I have to read his book. I don't know that his business practice is as revolutionary as Danny's is because. Well, it's Danny's not... is revolutionary in its simplicity. Yeah, because it all just makes sense. Yeah, and it's empathy. You yes. know. Which yeah. isn't often found Employees in the service. first. Yeah. Brilliant. It makes perfect fucking sense. Sure does. But yeah, so I will give a full review of this book, but I'm very excited to read it. Um, it might take me eight months because I buy a lot of books that I don't read right away. Oh, man. Let's we'll talk about eight months. I just got, it's actually two years old now, but I just got Bernard Harcourt's, I think his latest. I think this is the last one that he put out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's 500 fucking pages. It's a tome. I just started it, and I already just want to take a sabbatical to finish it. I love this guy. He's 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 freaking incredible. Incredible. All right. I stepped all over your toes. I'm going to keep going so that I can throw it back to you for Daniel. That's but fine. Spencer RDS said, I'm so incredibly stoked to hear a deep dive on energy efficiency. I've written up some stuff that may point you in the right direction, mostly from an unknucker perspective. Sadly, this is a large subject, and a lot of the academic stuff that I used to be into is way too granular to use in a media podcast. Mm, maybe not, Spencer. I like the granular stuff, especially when it comes to on the residential side of things, because I don't think there's a lot of stuff out there. And I am not aware of any Stephanie Kelton equivalent when it comes to energy. That's a very interesting point. I wonder I wonder if there is. So we're talking about kind of debunking the whole uh, lead thing, but also talking about uh, he mentions the net zero home propaganda. There was some really good work done on energy efficiency standards for homes and the way that you could finance those standards so that it would pend it to the actual home or perhaps the mortgage that I was really kind of enticed by. So I'm, I'm anxious to see the resources and, and understand a little bit more about it. And I think it's an important one for us to do because so much of energy use is done at the residential level. You know what's LEED certified? Brooklyn Bowl. Is they it? Have, they have stuff in the bathrooms that, about it. But um, in the women's bathroom, they have a window where you could look down and see like the stage and the floor. It's cool. That's neat. Yeah. But Spencer, if you're in the Facebook group, can you connect with Jen S? Because Jen yelled at me, not real yelled, but fun yelled at me on Twitter for saying, that lead is fake and I didn't follow up with anything because I'm not an expert. I just know that to be true, I think. Yeah. Question mark. So what's interesting. Mansplained to Jen. I'll give you one piece of information. Again, we talk about New York a lot because we're from here. But in New York City, you basically can't build something new that isn't lead, even if you're not going for it, because the building code standards require a certain amount of efficiency. 
and construction materials and best practices for water use and all those kind of things because they're trying to manage their resources. And just by building something new, you will achieve some sort of lead standard if you apply for it. Lead standard, by the way, is not some sort of like government ranking system. It's it's a privately funded nonprofit group that kind of just hands out these certifications. I also know, sadly, for a fact, they can be bought. I'm not saying that all of the lead organizations are for sale. I'm just saying that you know, let's say that certain developers have some slightly more influence than others in achieving a higher ranking than perhaps maybe they wouldn't otherwise be able to achieve. Are you subtweeting the Durst company? No, I'm absolutely not. The brother can be like, you know who my brother is was, right? Wink. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, by the way, we started Dahmer. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I We're not going to watch any more of it. Okay. Watch the first episode. We're not going to watch any more of it because apparently it gets like really like disturbingly sexually graphic as it goes on. As you can imagine, he was you know killing men and, and cutting off their you know stuff and and then cooking them. So, but the first episode is is so small because it only just takes place in basically two two places. But most of it just happens in Dahmer's apartment. Like a bottle episode. Yes. And it is so fucking intense. I was on the edge of my seat. The way that they did this was masterful. And my daughter was interested because, again, she loves the horror stuff. And I guess whoever's playing this guy, who's ever playing Dahmer, is has been in all of... Um, American Horror Story. Yes. And it's all of those Because they're both franchises. Ryan Murphy. Who's, now, who is this person? Ryan Murphy did Glee. What? And he's a horror person too? No, he's just like. Are you saying a director, creator, producer, writer? I or? honestly don't know. Okay. <laughs> I just know it's a Ryan Murphy vehicle. It's a vehicle. Ryan Murphy vehicles are very Ryan Murphy. They're campy, they can be silly, they can be nonsensical, but people love them. I watched a couple of the American horror episodes with her, and I was like, this is really intense. This is some scary shit I didn't watch any I didn't yeah. there, uh, he did Scream Queens I believe that that mm. short lived series he, I think he also did that one with uh, Ben Platt it was like a Netflix series where he was like running for school president or something I don't know mm. Ben Platt's like 50 now he needs to knock it off <laughs> he's a he's a big nepotism baby did you know that no mm-hmm. his dad Who is the like Platts? he's like a, you're gonna tell me it's Oliver Platt I don't think so. <laughs> what I think his dad's name is Mark. He's a very talented young man. No, he is, but his dad is involved. He three of the this is just in his little snippet. He's worked in film, theater, and television. Three of the films he's produced, Bridge of Spies, La La Land, and Trial of Chicago Seven, have been nominated for Academy Award Best Picture. Oh my god! Yeah, so he's like, I'm not saying he didn't. He's not talented, whatever. But you know, you know, he got a little, he got a foot up there. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm just Googling. So Ryan Murphy's a writer, director, and producer. He so created Nick you can, Tuck. You can really call it a vehicle. That was a that was a big show. That was a big deal when that first came out. That's funny. A show called Popular, Nip Tuck, Glee, American Horror Story, Scream Queens, American Crime Story, Pose. Wow, I don't know. I didn't know he did Pose. 911, The Politician, 911 Lone Star, Ratchet, and American Horror Stories. Wait, Ratchet, the Nurse Ratchet story? Or Ratched? No, Nurse Ratched, yeah. Oh, wow. I've never even heard of this. 
That's pretty cool. I will say I had... The woman that plays her is really great. Oh, did you see that the original Nurse Ratchet just died? No, I did not. Yeah. Rip. What a great fucking movie that is. I still watch clips of that on YouTube. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I know I know what it is. Really... I'm doing it for, oh, okay. you know, for the Sorry, for the sorry you're right, you're right. right. Um, I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> looking at his you know IMDb. You know who's a revelation in that movie? Danny DeVito. He's so fucking good because you he know... He the cuckoo, right? He's in the clock. <laughs> yes. He okay. comes out every hour yeah. on the hour. Cuckoo. It's amazing. He's, because we lived with Danny DeVito and grew up with him through so many different iterations, and he's such a big personality, and he's mostly known as a humorist and all the things he did, he is amazing. He is so subtle and understated in this movie. I cannot fucking believe it. And it re- it revisiting that movie just gave me a whole other respect for what a massive talent that guy was. Is still alive. Yeah, he's Sorry. he's didn't fine. mean to kill you, Danny. Yeah, please don't. All right, I was gonna tell you something. All right, I was gonna tell you that one of my professors in college, yeah. who I TA'd for, sold a script to Ryan Murphy and like was co-creator with one on one of his shows. No shit. Mm-hmm. So you are one degree, two degrees of separation. Two degrees of separation from mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy and yeah. maybe being in one of the Dahmer episodes. I used to get, uh, you know, Entertainment you Weekly. in a Dahmer episode. And oh, I'm you're a not woman. his type. Yeah. I'm, his, I'm his type. I don't think so. I think you're a little too old. Sorry. Oh, wow. I think so. Also, he's not alive anymore. No, he's not. Yeah. Um, apparently, it. people are upset about that they, they made another one. Because they, they just did My Friend Dahmer, the one, the movie. I don't care. I haven't seen it. This is just better. You don't even know that. You Uh, also said you're not going to watch more. I'm not. I'm watching (laughs) Great British Bake Off, which I've never seen before. People love that fucking show. I know. I had no interest. Not obsessed with that show. Not for any like. Do you get it? Snobby reason. I just like, I don't really like, I never liked cooking shows because especially because it's a lot of meat and, you know, and also I don't really like reality shows. They stress me out. The only reality show I watch is Drag Race. But I like it. It's I, I get it. It's a, it's a competition show at the end of the day. Sometimes they're really mean to the people. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, this is awful and it tastes terrible. Bad mm-hmm. luck. I'm like, oh my God, they're, don't be mean. But it's sweet. The people, their relationship building together because they all become best friends. Oh. And at the end of the one season I watched, two of them became best friends. So I started crying because <laughs> it was so beautiful. Well, it's like us on the pod. Yeah. Best friends. Yeah. Forever. But, yeah. Yeah, you mean Manny. Mm-hmm. Manny faces. So that's what I've been watching. No, nothing, nothing um, harrowing, All except right. drag race. <laughs> so why don't we find out what Daniel P had to say? Why you don't want to keep talking about this and you know make other people sit through our nothing for more hours? That wasn't rhetorical. <laughs> so Daniel P said, "I love the show and the good work you're doing." And then here's the but. <laughs> but there are so many terrible problems with the U.S. and the whole world. You've done a great job of shedding light on, illustrating how complicated each of them can be. But I worry that viewing all this fuckery merely as a dauntingly long laundry list and zooming in on each item puts us at risk of losing sight of the forest for the trees. I believe there's a through line that connects most, if not all, systems that produce injustice. And this common pattern that I see is power imbalance. Name any atrocity that has ever occurred. I'll bet you that it was only possible for it to occur because one party had the power to harm another without fear of being harmed as a consequence. As podcasters, you have the opportunity to tell the stories that shape beliefs. I encourage you to tell stories that extol balanced power relationships and denigrate unbalanced power relationships. 
So all fair points, we spent a lot of time talking about how each one of these issues on its own could be overwhelming and could prompt you to raise the fuck this flag because it all seems too big. The way that we're trying to distill it, though, is to bring it back to some common themes. One of the common themes is, as far as we've been able to state it, is this deliberate corporate takeover of all of the levers and systems of power in the United States that is driven by a profit motive that was kind of crafted and drafted by economists, theorists, and legal scholars who wanted to facilitate the corporate takeover of America. So that's a through line that goes through whether it's what we've done on war, Hollywood, politics, even some of the culture and identity politics issues that we've tackled, that that common through line of moneyed interests behind the veil of corporatism, seizing the levers of power through political, legal, media, and cultural means is ultimately the through line that equates to this perverted form of neoliberalism as crafted by the Chicago School economists, as at least in in our view as a socioeconomic podcast primarily. But there were other, obviously, there were other bad guys involved in all of that. If we wanted to come at this from a sociological perspective and frame that same through line with through the lens of power dynamics, I think we're telling the same story. So that that's kind of how I interpreted that, Daniel. And that would be sort of my response to you is that, yes, I, I agree with you that taken individually, these can feel very overwhelming. So we have to look for the consistent through points. And then when we talk about what we can do That's where we come back to some very basic principles. On the political front, in the current system that we have, I think it's important that we recognize due to the immediacy of the climate crisis that we take over the most established party that is more closely aligned with us and not try to tilt at windmills by trying to create a new political infrastructure and framework state by state. Take over the Democratic Party fill it with progressives and begin to haul the country to the left because the more leftist things we do, the happier people are going to be until we reestablish the left as the norm and the right as the very, very far afield. So that's the political through line. The economic through line is in still engages with the political aspect, which is to begin to untether corporatism from the political process. Because if we don't take money out of politics which we're not going to do because the politicians in charge of it are corporatists at the heart. So we have to have the progressives in there to be able to minimize the impact of money. It's not that's no guarantee because progressives are people too and everybody is, you know, has a number. But the system can't be fixed without getting money out of politics and I'm betting that the non-corporate interest cadre of, of progressives are more likely to do that than the corporate bought and paid for candidates on the right that always do the bidding of the lobbyists as paid for by corporations. So all of these things still represent the same power dynamic and the power imbalance that you're talking about. It's just we're coming at it from a socioeconomic perspective. And I believe that just doing it strictly from a power relationship 
is to come at it from a sociological perspective, and that's just not this show. But it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Does that make sense? Is that fa- is that a fair response? Yeah, I mean, it's just a tough it's a tough concept because it's one of those things that can be applied to, to anything, like Daniel's saying. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think through our lens, the power imbalance through the moneyed class is the most prevalent. Right. It's just, yeah, there's just so many iterations and or so many, I don't know, examples of how that's applicable. But yeah, I do think it's in what we do, though, at least innately. Maybe we don't say it all the time, but. Yeah. And, and we have discussions off mic and behind the scenes about like, well, does this fit? And what's our take? And what, what, mostly what you value. You have discussions. <laughs> with you. Yeah. But when you, when you smash my ideas. <laughs> I don't smash your ideas. Well, because I, I want to ask do, the question. Yeah. I want to do more. Can we provide social. value? <laughs> you want to do more the economic. <laughs> right. And that's why fully acknowledging you should be taking the lead on putting together something on mental health resources because it's your perspective. It's what you're more passionate about. When we talk about equity or even if we're going to talk about sustainability further, that's where I think that your voice has to be more and more incorporated from a research standpoint, but also from a framing perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I can only approach things through but through my lens. It's the only one I have. So I'm naturally going to come at everything. And it's not so much as does this fit? as it is, can I really do this justice? Mm-hmm. And that's how I try to evaluate every opportunity. So uh, I can't be what I'm not when I'm writing these things or when I'm researching them. I can just provide value where I think I have it to give. Yeah. And if I don't, I really do try to to stay firmly in my lane. Yeah, at least in the main shows. <laughs> yes, in the main shows. In show notes, yeah. I get into a bit trouble. Yeah. I, I did see a comment that made me laugh, by the way, and I know that you're, you're trying to shield me from it, but... It was uh, Max going to a chiropractor, crack me up. He's literally taking advice from somebody whose profession started by seeing ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I actually laughed out loud at that. I thought it was very funny. So The person seemed more angry than you're giving them credit for. That's why I was like, this person seems very angry. Well, they seem pissed off because I think it's like they're like a serious medical professional who, professional who just doesn't believe that chiropractic is a real thing. I can only share my experience with that because I, I had a really fucked up spine the nurse nurse ratchet the nurse yes nurse ratchet at my school growing up called my parents in a panic you know they remember did they ever do scoliosis checks on you always do they still do that i feel like that's not a thing like it's not okay to, i don't like, know they did scoliosis they did lice. lice checks yes they did vision and hearing i don't think that's a thing in school anymore they just get lice yeah lice check was always so stressful because it's so like stressful. even though i know i don't i don't have lice i'd, I'd know if i had oh, lice. our friends brought it into our house once oh, they came yeah no it was fucking I, the girls got it. I thought my wife was going to burn our house down. I would. Oh, I, I had. It was a disaster. I have very thick hair, and oh, you forget when I was about a little it. kid. Never leave. My hair was below my butt. Like my hair, I, I donated my hair when I was ten, and I cut off eighteen inches. Yeah. Like, wow. I, yeah. Good lord. I know, and I still had you know shoulder length hair. Wow. So yeah, that was always my biggest fear. But people would always be like they'd die in your hair anyway. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to get around. Yeah, they suffocate. So it was even <laughs> thicker when I was a kid cuz you know, I hadn't like put a bunch of shit and straightened it every day for 5 years, but 99's hair is is oh, I think it has its own zip code. It's amazing. I brushed it this morning before I showered and I honestly like couldn't take a picture cuz it was that bad. Like it mm. A wouldn't have fit in the frame, but B I just looked 
like a monster. It was just like a big frizzy triangle, but I laughed to myself. And it has literally the most incredible hair that of any person that has ever walked this planet. Yeah, for but my it's mama. it's got to be a burden. Oh, yeah. It's so much. It's like it, it takes me an hour to shower. <laughs> like the other day you were like, I'm going to hop in the shower and then get here. And I was right? like, like five minutes later, you're like, I'm back. And I was like, what? How? I'm a very dirty person. It takes me at least seven minutes to shampoo my hair. So I did the nurse did a scoliosis check oh, on back. me, called my parents and like, like it was an emergency because I had such severe curvature of my spine, which, you know, I'm now later in life, I'm very sensitive to. And uh, so my parents. Because you're a short king. Yes, exactly. My grandparents only went to chiropractors. Like for their GP? Yeah. Oh, well, that's never, wrong. Never gone to a doctor. I'd always gone to chiropractors. Okay. So we grew up. I got, I, I mean, I had, we just grew up with chiropractic around us. It just, I never thought twice about it because it was just so much a part of our family. So I started going when the nurse obviously flagged that. And then within like six months, I completely straightened out my spine. I was very grateful for that. But I can see why people think that it's hocus pocus. And, I think uh, it depends. I mean, I've never been to one. I would love for some fucking person to just like crack my back a thousand times. That sounds oh, great. That's wonderful. But um, I mean, I think the the hesitation is when it becomes like, it's like when you use Afrin too much and then you get addicted and you can't breathe anymore. It's like yeah, 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 you yeah. go for back pain, but then it's like making it worse or you're paying a zillion dollars. Well, that, you know, I walked out of a chiropractor's office because I tried to find one when I moved. Then I went into this office and they had pamphlets out about chiropractic curing AIDS. And I was like, yep, I'm fucking out. That's ridiculous. So it's like... Everything everything has its levels, you know what I mean? So, anyway. That's um, okay. So, let's go over to Twitter now. Yeah. We got Wild Eye Bob, who is Knudsen. Thanks for not having too narrow a focus on the commission, meaning the FCC. They have such a large potential mandate and yet such a small footprint. I'm glad that came through, Bob. And we're obviously going to unfuck a couple of additional things. I really wanted to lead with net neutrality because I thought that was going to be the thing that would resonate the most with people because it was the most immediate and it's the most modern. And I don't think a lot of people really think about radio broadcasting or over the air television broadcasting or the limits of what can be said or not said on cable anymore since there aren't any. And I think there's a lot of from an artistic perspective, from a creator perspective, the freedom that you can get by expressing yourself. By, by not having any guidelines or regulations, I think has been really helpful for art and for expression. And on the flip side of that, it's very interesting to see the ethos that, ex that used to exist among broadcasters with respect to the responsibility of a license and then how cable, there was no responsibility for that. And the internet, there was less responsibility. And it's the fear of having something taken away from you and the fact that you believe that part of it was for public benefit, even though they had such a small mandate, as Bob says here, the one thing they were able to do was in, engender a culture of responsibility. The funny thing about that, and I don't think I pressed this enough in the episode, is the Republicans at the time in, in the 1980s under the, the Reagan era commissions that were looking to dismantle the fairness doctrine and really take all the teeth away from the FCC had a really compelling argument, which is what made it so hard for the left to battle. And that was that it wasn't just the free speech perspective. That's the conversation we should all and always be having. And I get that. It was actually the chilling effect, and they were able to get people from the left and the right to talk about how there was a chilling effect 
because people were afraid to tackle critical issues. So remember, the FCC said that with any critical issue of importance to society, you had to present equal time and both sides of the equation. But sometimes there were things that were so radical that they thought deserved light that they didn't want to give equal time to the other side. And there were actually examples of broadcasters who couldn't find another side, but they were so afraid of tackling that issue because it would be viewed as one-sided, they didn't air it at all. So that's really problematic as well. And there are tons of examples in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s of really important stories that never got reported on because it was easier to eliminate them. And you can imagine that happening for nefarious reasons as well, like covering the civil rights movement, covering you know the rights of, of uh, indigenous people in this country, the covering suffrage issues, and on and on and on and on, right? You can suppress an issue by not covering it as well. And if you think about who was awarded and granted all these licenses over time, and we're gonna talk more about that in the second part of this, because that's a super important piece of the puzzle. Who was it that was in control of these airwaves? That's where it gets into the white patriarchal discussion. So yeah, big potential mandate, very small footprint, but the reasons why they have a small footprint, you it's almost like this is one of those things where you could pick a position. It would be a fascinating debate, like in a, uh, you know, some sort of like debate class in, in college where you could pick one side of this thing and argue with conviction and probably be right whether you believed in it or not, and it doesn't matter which side you're on. It's very, very interesting. This is a very tricky issue. So thank you, Bob, for calling that out. Bob was one of the people early on who was looking forward to this. So hopefully we did the first part justice and we'll really bring it home in the second one. Debate class sounds awful. Yeah, I'm a terrible debater. Me too. I wish I was good at it. You're not a master debater. I'm not a master debater. Master debater. Come again? You heard me. In fifth grade, we had to debate whether we thought the Loch Ness Monster was real or not. Well, it is, so why even have that debate? I was on the... I actually don't remember which side I was on, but I completely froze up during my debate and I had to call in reinforcements. Nessie. See, I'm a um, I'm a slow burn. I'm not quick on my feet. Mm. So I have to sit there and, I don't know, read and structure notes and put together a thesis and then write 5,000 words and then erase 1,500 of them and then come up with a new conclusion. I think part of debating is arrogance because it purports that you know everything about something and you can talk whatever. And then... Who knows everything about everything? Like, you got to stop no and Chomsky. Google. Yeah, but he'd be so, his debate would put you to sleep. Now, but if. Uh, if just you, based on his voice. Now, but if you go back to like, the, watch him debate Buckley in the 60s. Buckley had a, 60s? You played the clip. Yeah, Buckley had him on once. Well, yeah, but I just mean. He's like, fuck this, I'm never having that guy in again. His voice, be, you know, you would just. Because he like, has total recall. I mean, it's like so unfair. Yeah, I mean, those are the outliers. Yeah. People who have like photographic memories and yeah. such, but. Yeah. Anyway. Who's arrogant enough to think that they could debate politicians? Hmm. I'd love, I would love to debate. I would love to be in that type of forum. I'm just not quick on my feet. It sucks. Anyway. Okay. General tweets. What yes. do we got? So, Stifler's mama, aforementioned, shared a photo of a UNFTR sticker on a gas pump <laughs> and said someone <laughs> is, quote, allegedly raising hell in Douglas County. Dig it. So, thank you for that. And then Heath Duncan, 108, said, went to my local organic green juice cafe. My cashier, my cashier, my cashier was a millennial. I said, I've got a pot I want to share. Opened the app and showed the logo. Her face lit up with curiosity. I said, it's a political pod with a progressive lean. Sold. 
Welcome Maya from Florida. Welcome Maya. Welcome I Maya. I hope you engage with us. Yeah. Over on Substack, Recycled Grandma. I like that. Had name. some words to say. What do we got? So, hi 99 and Max and Manny. Love your show despite the name. Uh, Manny, the episode, uh, this is the Newsbeat episode, the episode on missing Native American women was caringly and extensively intense. I had read often about the problem, but had no idea of its depth. Max, the healthcare series was very good, yet you left out the most important link in the chain of workers, aides and cleaning staff. So true. I'm living in an assisted living residence in Boston, so I'm luckier than about 99.5% of those needing my level of care. Our facility had been run for generations by a dedicated family group. Five years or, or so ago, they sold to a conglomerate. So then Recycled Grandma goes on to detail the decline in services and how the workers are underpaid and overworked to the point of like total exhaustion. They close out with, finally, the last item today. My left and right brain are arguing about a word in your opening song. Is it, instead of a revolution, he started a podcast... Just what the world needs, another straight white guy or another lame white guy? <laughs> it's neither. It's, it's basic. Neither. Another it's basic, another basic white, guy. white guy. Yeah. Who started a podcast, but I like the fact that her brain immediately it's went to lame. lame. <laughs> that's you. But. Well, that's, that's really, really good feedback. And I did not get it enough into the working class subculture in healthcare that can be uh, brutal. And talk about the the amount of hours that people have to work. Yeah, it's uh, it's harrowing. Yeah, when I um my my grandpa's a hundred. Um, wow. Yeah, he's still kicking. He recently had to go into like a like a rehab part of a nursing home because mm-hmm. he uh, he fell as old people do sometimes. And sure. but you know what? He's truly probably going to make it to like one fifty. He's going to live forever. That's remarkable. It's not even like it's not even me being like he'll never die. It's like he'll never die. <laughs> like it's just, he's just never <laughs> going to die. Go. Um, we love him obviously, but uh, yeah, when he was in there, I mean. What do you call him? Grandpa or Poppy or Papa? Poppy. Poppy. Yeah. Yeah. He's our he's Poppy. Um mm-hmm. my cousins call him grandpa though. Mm. Me and my sister are the only ones who call him Poppy. I don't know why. Well, he obviously favors you. I guess so. Yep. Um but yeah, so like You the, can call me Poppy. He does Fuck not talk kids. like that. <laughs> he he talks like a normal person. Not like a stereotypical old man. Sorry. Oh. Um Oh, well. <laughs> no, he does kind of talk. I mean, it's not like that, but, like, he talks like a grandpa a little bit. But, yeah, so he, sometimes he would just be there and, like, there would be no one to, like, assist him or, like, take care of him. And because they're just, there's not enough people. Yep. They're working around the clock. My grandpa's an asshole. Um, he's a crotchety 100-year-old man. So yeah, I would be, too. Like, you know, I don't want to go in there. I'm but, already there. But, I mean, it was, it's... My, you know, my dad, to his credit, was there all the time, like monitoring, being, you know, checking in, being like, has he gotten this? Has he gotten that? And also now just seeing like the aftercare of having like people in the house, aides coming to help and stuff and like the weird network of that. Like, I don't know. It's just a weird. Yes. And also it's a fucking God bless. I know. These people. There's a woman who bathes my grandpa. I know. He's a hundred. Yeah. Ew. It's amazing. The work that they do. Is amazing. Poop, old people pee yeah. and poop. Yeah. And yeah, I couldn't do it. I can't even take out my own garbage without vomiting. Um, it's something we don't That's talk about. That's why Manny has seven kids. So Eight? So, uh, Nine. Nine? I, I don't know. That's why Manny has so many kids. There are grandkids now, so like they all just get you know the the gaggle. Yeah, he, the, he literally has like a whole team to be able to take care of him into his ripe old age. 
But yeah, it's it's we definitely don't talk enough about those people and thank them enough. Absolutely. Like we think, you know, we thank our nurses and our, our, our doctors, but we don't always thank the people who, you know, may not be a nurse, but they do literally all the grunt work. Yes. Good on you, recycled grandma. Thank yeah. you for bringing that up. And uh, we're going to close out feedback with Augustine Arias said, excited. Hey, can we get a Fed Reserve episode in the future? Or did I miss that one? You did not. And we will. Not on the docket for this year. And I also feel like I need uh, that. You know what? Maybe the way we knocked that out, 99, is a phone a friend. Hmm. I have my thoughts on it and the position of it and the place of it. I am not an end the Fed person. (laughs) You need a central bank. I'm not a fan of what the Fed is doing right fucking now, forcing us into a recession with the claim that they can get inflation under control. I mean, what a fucking backwards way to get this is not the fucking 1970s jerome powell okay this it don't you're not and you are no paul volcker so let's just stop it there but do we need a federal reserve yeah yeah you do and i'm very much of that opinion and uh, a lot of people are not so we'll get there maybe you can call ron Chernow, who wrote the hamilton biography oh okay he probably knows a lot about its founding yeah probably right yeah probably i would say no i feel like you're dismissing me it was like one of the things I'd be like, yeah, okay, go fuck yourself. No, I just wonder if, <laughs> if, like, some people don't necessarily want to fuck with us because of the name. You know? I think that's less people than you think. Yeah? I think so. Okay. Let's see. He's also, he's he wrote a book called Death of the Banker. The Decline and Fall of the Great Financial Dynasties and the Triumph of the Small Investor. So he's clearly very well versed in Clearly. No, finance. Absolutely. We also wrote a book about Grant. He looks like a nice man. He's from Brooklyn. He'll talk to us. He's from here? Yeah. Oh, He's forget about it. homie. Yeah. All right. Wow, lots of books. Look at this guy. You know, I get intimidated by authors. You know that. Authors are just nerds. I know, but I, they, I, they're... Authors are intimidated by you. They're not. They're yes, not. because I'm you surrounded... have to speak. They just write. No. I'm not saying it's not hard, but they're different skill sets. No, they're the scary ones. All right, let's get into coffee donations. Yes. Bookstore Kim bought four coffees and wants to shout out Amy and Big Mama. I've been ordering coffee for as long as it's been available, and I want to thank her for her uncompromising quality. I know that coffee orders have been up, and they've had to add staff, etc. That kind of growth can lead to product changes, but not with this coffee. Damn right, Even the more people they hire, Amy's... She's still got her eye on... Nobody's touching Big Mama, but Amy. (laughs) They might be helping her pick and pack and all that kind of stuff, but she's roasting. Yeah, those are her beans. Someone bought us a coffee. Thank you, someone. And Zektar the Unholy One bought us a coffee. Thank you, Zektar the Unholy One. Nathan Suris bought a coffee. I'm working through my master's in economics, and I cited you three times, Max. Here's $5 for your work. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for the tip. You're in people's papers. (laughs) That's weird. Um, at Burbman Dan Burb. bought five coffees. Burb, God damn it! At Burbman Dan bought five coffees and is now a member. Hey, welcome aboard! Thank you for helping us get to our number. This is the aforementioned Dan who wants us to unfuck cars. That's right. It's time you unfuck the Burbs. Single family zoning, cars, the almighty automobile could be a great pod entry point. Share a bit of pod love for the War on Cars podcast. Here we go. We'll do. And Jason A is now a member. Said I've been listening for over a year. Most episodes at least twice. Thank you for the downloads. I've purchased the coffee, and I don't even drink coffee, and have rocked the UNFTR sticker on the back of my Jeep until the car wash finally destroyed it. I can't express to you how fully incredible this pod is. Happy to support. 
Thanks, guys. Well, you'll get a new sticker now that you're a member. Hmm. BS is now a member. Love the show. Recommend it and refer to it uh, almost too often. I don't always agree with every statement, but that just tells me I'm thinking for myself and not drinking someone else's flavor aid. See? BS knows the truth. He That's knows right. that it was not it's Kool-Aid. Not, it's not Kool-Aid. That's right. Mm-hmm. Love the banter with 99 Manny Faces Interjections and have introduced my work team to Tom McGovern. Fun. Awesome, BS. Appreciate it. And this is a big one. Nettie Hugger One is now a member. Yeah, I know, guys. It took me a long while to get here. I'll be trench-coating McFleshman's unlabeled short fills in the alleyway to fulfill this commitment, but it is so worth it. All hail Nettie. Are you trying to make me read this one? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's Januzin B. Okay. That's And they're a member. That's it. That's great. No message. And then Farin J is now a member. Happy to help you reach 420. Good luck. And we have a review. Would you like to read it? Uh, I don't know. Do I? I haven't read it. It's good. Okay. Well, Nathan S9. Oh, that's our boy, right? Probably. Okay. If you only have time for one podcast per week, this is the one. Incredibly well-researched every week. I do not always agree with yeah, the goal. Yeah, <laughs> I don't always agree with the conclusions, but I never dispute the historical context as all sources are well-documented. I truly learn something new every week. All right. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you to all of our new members. Let's keep raising some hell, raising some friends, and raising some funds. 99, appreciate you and love you, and I will catch you. I've week. You can't close without asking me if I'm done talking. Stalking. I won't. I'm, um, I will catch you. Okay. In a very short period of time, I think tomorrow. Okay. I'm in. I'm in pretty good shape. That means this nothing weekend, to our listeners, though. I mean, uh, this weekend is a quickie. See, I usually run up the uh, production deadlines, uh, despite my promises, my empty promises every week to uh, to get things done as quickly as possible for 99's mental health and uh, Manny Face's sanity. And I lie a lot, apparently. Unintentionally. Is it still a lie if it's unintentional? I don't know. I think it's just called delusion. I'm delusional. I'm not delusional this time because I'm almost done. And it is a quickie, and I think that people will enjoy it. It's something that just kind of occurred to me, uh, I don't know, in recent weeks, and I was just thinking about something a different way. Did you potentially and I wanted to share uh, with everybody. tweet out and tease it? Oh, fuck, did I? I don't know. What did I tweet? I don't know. You've been tweeting a lot lately. I've tweeted like four times. That's a lot for you. It is. I keep logging on and I'm like, who is this? What's happening? <laughs> why, why are these people? Okay. Um, I have two quick things I'm going to say. Go ahead. One, I got fucking hyper-focused on cleaning my inbox yesterday. I went through like 500 emails. Um, and I probably missed some people who asked for stickers. And it wasn't intentional. I think I got everybody. But I, I'm sure someone fell through the cracks. I think I'm going to set up a form where you can request stickers and, you know, it'll probably be a rolling basis like every couple weeks. So it might not be instantaneous that I send them out because it'll it'll be me mailing them and maybe we'll get a new design eventually. Members still get stickers, obviously, but I'm going to probably create that. It's just going to be a simple form, address, whatever. You know, no money. If you want to send a donation, some people offer to pay for shipping. Buy us a coffee if you want to do that. That's fine. That's forthcoming. Wait for, I guess I'll tweet after this drops. And then um, you guys can refill out the form if you if I missed you. Second thing is I saw a stat that only 2% of people eligible for the new booster have gotten their vaccines. And it's the Omicron booster. So that's obviously like the variant we have right now. And it mutates very quickly. We're in like mutation eight or something. 
And I just wanted to remind people that, you know, we're still we're still out here. We're still living in a pandemic, even though the government says it's over. Um, you you know, my chiropractor has it? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> He'll put it right in your spine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I just it's it is safe. It's you know, I've had five boosters or I've had five vaccines rather like I'm this. My Omicron was my fifth. No, I had no side effects. I mean, that's just me personally. That's anecdotal. Everyone's different. Some people will still have side effects. But, you know, we still have to look out for one another. We still have to look out for the people who can't get vaccinated because of health reasons. You know, still wear your mask if you if you feel comfortable. We just don't really talk about it anymore because sure. it is the quote unquote new normal. But don't sleep on that. And flu season's coming up. I know not everyone likes to get their flu shot, but, you know, if you if you feel so inclined I get mine. I'm going to make my appointment soon. Uh, so just like, yeah, just stay safe out there. There's, I think as as we slip back into more regular life, and myself included, I'm definitely taking more risks than I was two years ago or a year ago even. We're going to get colds. People are going to get the flu. Just remember that just because it's not COVID doesn't mean you should be around other people and get them sick because no one wants to be sick, period. That's right. And just, you know, just care for one another. And I know our unfuckers do, but... Seeing that that statistic was disheartening. Is it two percent? I think so. Wow. You know, if you just got like, let's say you got your booster right before the Omicron Omicron came out, like you won't be eligible. But if it's been, I think they said, at least two months since your last booster, and uh, efficacy obviously at six months because you'll be your antibodies will have waned, so getting it further out is quote unquote better. You know what I mean? I'm not a doctor. This is just what I've been reading from. CDC and other other health resources, but yeah, so so get it and protect protect your fellow on fuckers, you know, or don't, and you know suffer the consequences and contribute to uh, a worse society. Wow, right? I mean, I didn't go there. Usually, I do, but you did the today, and okay. I'll take it. But yeah, we still gotta look out for one another. Sometimes we forget. It's hard. Well done. Thanks. Okay. Well, we'll see you for our full unfucking of the quickie of the topical cream of the phone a friend. <laughs> 